standards for a guy who'd do a podcast in a car. Yeah, well, <laughs> so the, it turns out that we both have negative free time. And uh, at the time when we started it, we both had day jobs. And um, we decided that we weren't willing to take any more time away from family. So this is a lot of time we have driving to matches and we were talking anyway. So we figured why not record it? And then it just kind of snowballed into what it is today. So I think it's I think it's great. I think it's a great angle. I love it. Yeah, so I didn't know if you had had a, uh, a look inside of our podcast at all, but I've been binge listening to yours for the last couple days. <laughs> oh, good. I hope you're enjoying them. Yeah, yeah I listened pretty to a good. couple as well. They were pretty insightful, pretty neat. I'm, yeah. I'm excited for this episode. I can't, I can't help but uh, notice the strong resemblance of your logo to, um, to Van Halen. Uh, yeah, that's completely coincidental. I hate Van Halen. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you play guitar? I am sitting next to an Eddie Van Halen Wolfgang special that is sitting on a custom build stripe stand. And I'm currently wearing a Van Halen logo and I'm surrounded by Van Halen memorabilia. And it is plugged into a 5150, probably, combo? I do not have a 5150. Um,. Only because that's a little high gain for me. I'm a little bit more 1984 tone than I am modern tone, so it's not quite as high gain. Okay, so we're really honing and, in on your style there. I can, I can, well, I can hear it. Well, so my thing was always I've got to stand in front of a marshal. Yeah. Because as a kid, all you hear is stand in front of a marshal. So I thought, okay, I'm going to find, I don't care how many guys I try, I'm going to stand in front of a marshal. Yep. And you can actually go on YouTube and look up Slam Circus uh, Hippies and see our last reunion show back in 2012. Sweet. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I uh, was introduced to you from a mutual friend, Scott Whitehead. I don't know if you'd call him a friend. Is he a friend? Of course. Okay. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, I met him just through Facebook, just talking back and forth about the podcast episodes. We haven't actually met in person, but it turns out that we uh, have a lot of the, the mindset aspect of things we have a lot in common the things we don't have in common is he doesn't really shoot prs or precision rifle and we were talking on a previous episode um about the efficiency economy of motion that somebody shooting pistols like yourself and or um you know three gun type stuff uh really getting down to the microscopic level of trying to work in that speed by economy of motion so i want to get to that but i wanted to give you a chance to introduce yourself because i don't know that the people on our podcast have have heard of you if they haven't i want you to know that you exist them to know that you exist and what your credentials are and accomplishments and where they can find you and stuff like that sure do you want it in 30 seconds three minutes or 30 minutes somewhere between uh so okay. somewhere in that three to five is fine I, I don't i'm willing to talk about it as much as possible and then we can kind of branch off and come back to it it doesn't matter to me all right cool well, my name is Steve Anderson. Uh, I am a USPSA Grandmaster. I was the first Grandmaster in Ohio, and that happened in 2003. And the way that came about was when I started shooting USPSA, most of the classifiers we saw on a regular basis were very simple. Mm-hmm. And because of my limited exposure to the sport, I reasoned that if I could shoot six shots on anything, Reload and shoot six shots on anything quickly and accurately. I could become a grandmaster. Okay. So and what is a grandmaster? So, yeah. And first, can we? What is a classifier? I think that's okay. A- so, in inside of USPSA, uh, there exists. There's probably about a hundred of them now, give or take. And there's you call them standard exercises where everybody all across the country can set them up exactly the same and shoot them. 
okay. like skill stages in PRS. Yeah, so you can you can yeah, practice sure. it, and everybody's doing it the same with the same set of rules, with the same props, with the same foot movements, stuff like that. It's standardized. It's exactly the same. Yeah, yeah it's exactly the same. Okay. And then those are graded on a percentile. So USPSA uses what's called a hit factor scoring, which is points divided by time. And without getting too deep in the weeds on that, uh, if you can score 95% or better on a rolling average of six of those, and that's 95% compared to the best scores that exist, then you become a grandmaster. Okay. Uh, 85% is master, 75% is A class. And so what happened to me was I was shooting sport for a while and I got a card mail that said I was in A class. I had to ask my buddy what it was. I said, what is, what is this card? Because I didn't know I was shooting classifiers. And he said, oh, you're in A class. That's really good. And I said, well, what's above A class? Well, that'd be master. I said, what's above master? Grandmaster. I said, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. You didn't ask what was above grandmaster? <laughs> I mean, he told me that was the top. You know? Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I like that philosophy because I mean I'm always saying like I, my goal is to clean a match, like hit every target, yeah. and if you if you fall slightly short of that, then you're still going to probably win the match, or you're going to you know achieve the best possible f- performance that you can for that particular match. But but I like that, like go for the top. Well, and so I we were talking about music earlier. I'm not sure if that's going to be in the show or not. Oh yeah. But I came out of the music industry being so close to a record deal on two occasions. And so when I when I left playing rock and roll, I felt like a failure, even though, gosh, I made my first record when I was 15 years old. Mm-hmm. But we never got a record deal. And so I felt like a failure. So when, when I found an opportunity to get a stamp of approval from a third party that wasn't subject to fashion or style or current trends, yeah, or I said, I'm absolutely or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's I tough, mean, man. Uh, I, do you feel thankful that you didn't make it, or do you still have that like thought in the back of your mind? What if? This is just a personal so, question because I feel the same way. Like I never made it, but I was in band since I was fifteen as well. So what, whatever you want to call Van Halen, right? Van Halen is not hair metal. Uh, some people call it dad rock. Some people call it cock rock. Whatever you want to call Van Halen style of music, if that were to come back and have a resurgence. Mm-hmm. I would, I would absolutely go down that path. Like, if anybody wants to see fifty-year-old dudes playing that music, sign me. <laughs> Who doesn't? I'm there. But there's probably not a paycheck in it, and there's probably, you know, you've got, you've got most of those bands are playing small clubs now. Yeah, it's and, a hard life, man. Yeah, and I, I'm just, I'm not interested in that. And uh, well, I, let, me, let me rephrase that: I'm not interested in that lifestyle. Yeah, because um, it's a very, very hard lifestyle. You know, being in a band is like being in a street gang. It's, it's it's ride or die, you know. I yeah. mean, there's there's no backup plan. There's no, you know, marriages suffer if they even exist. And family life suffers if they even exist. It's 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 tough. Yeah, it's an unhealthy lifestyle uh, for sure. And very few no, can actually make a good living at it for you know the effort and and headache that it causes. So yeah, so I'm right. just curious on but that. I am I am 100 percent convinced that learning to play guitar at a high level made shooting very easy for me. Um, and it was very easy to understand. It wasn't confusing at all. It was just, oh, I got to practice this. I got to practice that. I got to practice that. No big deal. So how do you, how you said you're 100% convinced. What are the correlations that, that you drew and used in shooting? For well, music? I mean, so, so for starters, musicians don't attempt to do things. Musicians decide to do things, okay. right? Uh, we don't listen to a song and go, 
play that, I'm going to give it a shot. We either decide we're going to do it or yeah. we decide to with the trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so the the resolute deciding to do something as opposed to trying to do something, you know, when I was playing guitar, I wasn't concerned with my buddies' bands. I was concerned with Steve Vai, Joe Satriani, Ingram, Malmsteen, Eddie Van Halen. And then later, later Stevie Ray Vaughan. I didn't compare myself to my peers. It was my, my idols I compared mm-hmm. myself to. And so as a result, you know, and I'll, I'll send you guys some music when we get done. You'll love it for your drive. Uh, Will do. But if, if, if you like 50-year-old dad rock. I do. I'm, I'm 43, and uh, I grew up with old and older bands and stuff, too. So I like all that stuff, for sure. I got it all on vinyl. Yeah, I, so, like, I like what you said about, you know, music in general. I mean, there's a, when you learn to play music, I played saxophone um, uh, at a relatively high level compared to my peers through high school, middle school, and then just occasionally here once out of that, but then moved to competitive golf uh, at billiards, and then now into shooting. So I can correlate what you're talking about with music and understand, at least at a different level with a different instrument, the way that you choreograph your thought patterns, and then there's a flow state that occurs along with just feel, but you have to have some baseline fundamentals to allow yourself to go through, you know, like a a B scale and run it slow first, faster, 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 and then play it wicked fast to where someone feels, it sounds like a riff, but it really is just, you know, an achromatic scale or something similar, right? Um, Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And never giving up and deciding to do something as opposed to attempting to do something. Yeah. You know, playing playing any any instrument at at a high level. Most folks, when they pick up a guitar, they can't get past the two weeks of hurt fingers. Yeah, yeah, and then it just sits in the back closet. Yeah, well, that happens with shooting too. Sure, (laughs) and then you know, then they get the bar cord and they can't figure that out, so they're just done forever. I just never quit. Yep. So, so your grandmaster, what's next? What happens after that? So, what happened after that was. I, I was a grandmaster and had not been to, to, to many major matches. I started going to major matches and getting beat. And I was very offended because I thought, hey, guys, I have this card that proclaims me to be a grandmaster. How dare you beat me? <laughs> and that's when I realized a couple of things. I realized, well, and I, I kind of knew this, but I didn't want it to be true, that the classification system does represent a relatively small number of skills compared to what the sport requires. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't been training those other things because I didn't care about those other things. And then I realized, oh, this mental game is a thing and I need to learn more about this mental game. Yeah, and I think I think we have been on that train for the last, well, since we started this podcast. Our podcast kind of dances between you know, the, the best fundamentals of marksmanship that we employ, the how we feel like the rifle should be interacted with, but then the other 40% is is how we're trying to navigate the mental game. And I feel like it's so important, and there's probably at least 25, 30 episodes. We have 70 so far. 25 or 30 of them are on mental-related topics, and we don't have all the answers. We're just kind of spitballing in, in the truck. I mean, we've both read Lanny's book. Um, I haven't read any of, of your stuff yet, but I... I you're certified through Lanny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I've I've got I've got 100 of the answers. You do? Um, oh yeah. Okay. Men, mental management is a systematic reduction of thought prior to performance. Right. Right. So what what we have to do is take a high number of conscious conscious thoughts 
and get that number to a to the lowest number we can get. We everybody knows zero is ideal, but zero will not be possible under pressure for the vast majority of athletes. Yeah. So if if we can't get to zero conscious thought, then we have to get to the lowest number we can handle. Yeah. Um, everybody shoots their best. Everybody golfs their best. Everybody plays pool their best, but they're not thinking. But they can't duplicate that. Yeah, and you know, coming from the professional golf world for about ten years, um, the best athletes in professional golf, you know, when you first start golfing, you're how do you grip? How do you stand? How do you initiate a swing? And then how do you swing? That's the, the sort of the three big parts. But then as you progress and you get past that most rudimentary fundamental level, it becomes, okay, what should I do with my wrist? What should I do with my hands on takeaway? What is my top position supposed to be like? And on and on, all these little micro dissections. And what you find is, is as players are progressing through that and they get into the minutia, at some point the minutia is no longer the portion you should be focusing on. You have it close enough that now it just needs to be let's work on one item only the rest of the system will carry itself through and you just slowly tweak this one aspect say left hand like a a swing thought we call it a swing thought for that reason you generally only want one Um, sometimes two but realistically you only want one you want left hand towards target or left hand away from target something along those lines and that simple thought will guide a bunch of other actions that occur nearly autonomously within your swing. And I think it's very much the same way as we translate that into shooting, as we translate that into, I don't know about pistols. I, I have shot a little bit of pistol and found that some of the skills I train in PRS have helped me become a better shooter with pistols. Um, but also some of the things that I learned while shooting pistols helped me recognize how I should be training with a precision rifle before I even got into competition. Which was that that wild. makes that makes all kind of sense to me. I, I would imagine it comes down to get an acceptable sight picture and avoid disturbing the gun when you, until the bullet leaves the barrel. Yeah, as simple as that sounds. It, yes. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> if the the gun is the most stable at its rest point, right? If you could specifically with a PRS or a precision rifle um, of any sort, even technically even a pistol, if you could balance a weapon dead perfectly on your center of your site where it's superimposed on the target where it needs to be and it did not move and you could just make the trigger go bang without influencing it at all it would go to the point on which the target you're aiming or at least where it's supposed to hit it will do that over and over and over where the weak link so with that said our our goal within building positions our goal of finding stability breaking rapid shots at you know ranges exceeding 1100 1200 yards but generally between 300 and 900 um, we're trying to do that as quickly as possible without disrupting the sight picture, just like you said. The other parts of it, that honestly, at least in my portion, that feels like the easy part now. Like that has the part of the game that if if I had to say what's the hardest portion, it's knowing the unknowable, understanding what the wind is doing, understanding what caused that round to not fall where you expected was it something that you did to influence the rifle or was it something else that you have to figure out that's still a part of the puzzle that's not within your wheelhouse and that's the game that like the meta if you will of our game it's very it's probably a little bit different in pistols because i don't think wind deflection is a real thing with a pistol at 10 yards um at least not in the a zone size (laughs) i don't know if that's what you guys score on or not but um a little different. I, I am not aware of a pistol shot in the practical shooting sports that requires a wind 
adjustment. Yeah. And I think, you know, not to, they're not saying they're different. In fact, quite the opposite. I'm saying that I think what's unique and why we wanted to have this conversation with someone like you is, A, because of your background within, you know, the mental mechanics, um, the physical, the, the, both the physical mechanics of how to operate at high speed uh, around a, a game or a, a course of fire, and also the mental mechanics of how to stay at that sort of optimal performance level with the, re- the lowest amount of input to get to the best result you can. And in PRS, we have a lot of things vying for our attention at a constant, like constantly we're working to sort of run around, quote unquote, with a rifle, you know, up and down a firing line or over a 10 to 20 foot, 20 yard area with multiple positions, all while trying to keep in the back of our mind the most important thing. What was the wind call on the last shot? What is my elevation for the next shot? And there are some things that unfortunately, they're very difficult to make autonomous but you can make them very nearly so. And that's the reason why, you know, coming to the idea of three gun, uh, you know, USPSA, IDPA, those type of sports intrigued us because they're, it's, I'm not going to say it solely because I don't want to misrepresent or understate the skill level that you have, but it's solely in my, my understanding of it, how well you can produce the sameness of motion over and over and over again while moving from position to position and because it removes say the to an extent the elevation and to a large majority the windage you can focus on perfect execution constantly in the background while just knowing this is how i navigate the course of fire and that intrigued me very early on in prs because i recognized some of the failures that i had uh, as learning opportunities to get much better much quicker by just using stress to my advantage Sure. So I guess with that, let's dive into it a little. Um, Can you walk us through one of the skill, I guess, maybe I'll say what some of the things that I led to, and I want to see where you fall or where, how this parallels what in your experience, and then just have you keep going on from there, and then we can just see where the conversation goes. So one of the training techniques that we have is something called the skill stage. I think it's skill stage number three. I don't even remember the number, um, but it's four positions, a kneeling, high standing, high standing in a kneeling position with two shots per position on a 10 inch target at 400 yards. So it's not a big target. It's not a small target, somewhere in between. Um, and traditionally about five, four or five years ago, when we started this sport, a fast time was in the mid 40 seconds to produce this. You just run up five yards or so, put your rifle down, bang, bang, move, bang, bang, and so on and so forth. Now the fastest time it's ever been recorded is just under 26 seconds at 2596. And it is virtually cut in half from the world's best to now in just four or five years as a result of practicing under high stress and you have people working through repetitive motion trying to analyze footfalls rifle position bag position um, rifle weighting etc target acquisition and when i recognized that that skill set was something i was lacking stress caused me to make mistakes that i would never otherwise make if in other words in practice i would never make an egregious mistake like not dialing or uh, shooting at the wrong target for instance however in practice, that doesn't emulate matches. In matches, I have that happen or had that happen quite frequently. And so what I decided to do uh, was simply run a drill, that same still stage, as fast as I humanly could while just getting the reticle on target. Like, ignore some of the other fundamentals um, and just 
get the reticle on target to see what happens. Click the shot, keep going, and see how fast you... How many times could you consistently beat your last time while breaking a shot on the center? And what I found was there's a, there's a distinct point in my psyche where I went, I, I physically can't go any faster. I can't process what is happening. And I mean, I, I watched, listened to one of your podcasts with, I forget, was it Jay Beal? Um, sure. And it mentioned never outshoot your sights, so to speak. Um, or you can't hit what you can't see or something along those lines. I, I'm paraphrasing. In that process, I found that there was a distinct moment where that exact phenomenon occurred. But as I continued to train at that, like as soon as I found that limit, I would just stay there and just keep going at that pace as fast as I could and then try to push further. And when I backed off, it felt really easy. Like, I mean, substantially easier, like 20, 30% quote easier, even though I was only backing off, say, one second or two seconds for pure speed. So that's a long way of coming around. How have you learned to train towards speed? And have you, I guess, what have you found in the idea of, say, speed versus efficiency versus autonomous motion? Wow. So, okay, so let, let's start with the, the term that I use, the limit of human function. Okay. And my advocation is to use dry fire to find the limit of human function. Right? So yep. if, if there's something we want to do, like a very famous exercise in our sport is called, it's called the El Presidente. So it's, it's turn and draw, shoot six shots on three targets, reload the gun, shoot six shots on three targets. So it's turn and draw, two, two, and two, reload, two, two, and two. Okay. okay. Um, I can routinely dry fire that under three seconds with an open gun all day long. And my best time is either three, five, seven or three, six, nine. So my current limit of human function for what my body can do is let's call it 2.9 seconds. If I'm shooting for score, I'm trying to get as close to that limit of human function as my vision will allow. Got it. So anytime there's a there's a disconnect between live fire and dry fire, typically, well, it, it only has to do with the recoil of the gun, slowing stuff down, uh, making it take a little bit longer to get the sight back on target, things of that nature. But because I know my limit of human function in that example is 2.8 seconds, Right. That means I my vision determines how close I can get to that 2.8 seconds. And when you mention autonomy, what I think you're talking about is making that speed subconscious. Mm-hmm. So the only thing between me and my absolute limit of human function is what I need to see. Yeah, as soon as you start focusing on speed or thinking about speed or saying, hey, I need to go fast, <laughs> the worst things happen. <laughs> sure, but in training, it's absolutely required. No, no, I know. I'm just saying in a match... That's that's burned me more than more than I care to admit. And oh, it's the dumbest thing you could do. Yeah, <laughs> you know. In fact, I was really surprised and very intrigued to hear you talking about just throwing random shots to get a feel for the time, because that's exactly what I encourage people to do. However, it never occurred to me that a, that a quote unquote precision rifle shooter would do that. I thought that was fascinating and very smart. Because you're isolating everything else except making the shot to get to the limit of human function, and then you're only slowed down by how much how long it takes to break the shot. Yeah, in, in fact, to be more specific, the same thing just, we do. yeah, to be specific, I'm not throwing, uh, and I'm doing this more for the benefit of our listeners. Um, I don't just shoot willy nilly with live rounds. What I will do is go as fast as humanly possible under dry fire, to where I use a like effectively about a 
one and a half to two foot target. So about a 15 to 20 inch target at 400 yards. So I have a, what's relatively speaking, massive aim point. I mean, at 400 yards, it doesn't look that big to the naked eye, but it is for us very large. I will get my rifle and sight picture into that as fast as humanly possible. And as soon as I see a reticle touching any portion of the target for dry fire practice, I will break the shot, recycle the bolt, break the shot, go to the next position. Effectively, what I'm trying to do is not, I don't care where in my brain, I know I am sacrificing certain fundamentals or quote, perfect shots. In, In that instance, I'm not worried about what my trigger press looks like, feels like, or does. I am simply trying to get to the point where my brain gets scrambled. The inputs and the outputs are no longer sequitur. (laughs) I want to move left and I move up. Oops. Like, look for the target. It's not there. Like you said, the limit of human function. Yeah, Yeah. I am trying to cause chaos in my brain because at some point, the chaos leads to organization because your, your brain has an unnatural and an innate ability to find chaos and make order of it. So if you can get to that boundary between easy and impossible and stay more towards the impossible your brain seems to help your body figure out what to do next sure man i wish i'd I wish i'd had time to go to the bank and get my ten dollar words out of the safety deposit box i didn't have enough time good grief <laughs> well for, that was francis talking about all that and uh he was kind of downplaying it but he is the fastest uh, currently, and it has to be in my my assessment because of the way that he had approached it. He first went like the you know, wheels are coming off, and then he went backwards and said, "How do I get ultra precision? What does that feel like?" And then, you know, you you're used to living in that high speed mode. It's a lot easier to get there. And when you're 98 percent of that, you're destroying everyone. My fear is, oh, yeah. my fear is no, that they're going to keep bringing it down, and it's going to be 20 <laughs> sub 20 seconds, and I won't even be able to chamber the first round. Well, that is that is going to happen. I mean, if, if you look at Steel Challenge, you know, the, the Steel Challenge times will continue to drop by hundreds of a second forever, as long as they play the game. Yep. Yeah. The only the, the only thing that's going to happen is we might need more decimal points, but the, the times will keep dropping. So, and what I, what I love about that is you, you came to the same conclusion that I did. When my body knows how to operate at limit of human function, I'm only limited by what I need to see. In a pistol, it's what I need to see. In your case, there might be some calculations you have to do or things like that, but let's call it the same thing. I'm only limited by what I need to do with the gun because my body has now operated at the limit of human function. Yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty wild ride when you get to the when you really get to the high stress area of your physical performance and a need for say mental clarity, those two don't play well together as you're in a practice mode and they definitely don't play well when you're in a high pressure, like it matters match mode or in a, in a high stakes setting. Um, I mean, the analogies for that, I mean, are pretty numerous in both professional sports across the world from Formula One racing, MotoGP racing, billiards, you, I mean, literally anything at their highest level. When you, when you look at how difficult it is to perform at the level of the best in their field, it, it gives you some sense of admiration. Then if you go try it, you get a whole different sense because you just realize I am not even close to where I thought I was. And that was evidence to me when I went into the golf industry, you know, I was a good golfer, uh, you know, around scratch and, uh, had my PGA card for which you know, teaching professional card, not uh, tour pro card, very different. Um, 
watching some professionals hit golf balls on a range and I know what my skill level was and knowing that I'm already in the top say two to three percent of most amateur golfers then going well what, these guys can't be that good right in the very first you know event that I step on the range I'm watching um, some a couple of specific tour pro but a couple of tour pros just hitting wedges and I watch them hit 70 80 wedges over the course of about 20 minutes or so um, I could have taken my hand put a tee in the ground and just walked around a circle touching the tee and I never would have touched one of his golf balls because they were all inside of that circle from like 70 to 80 yards I mean to have and watching a practice session like that and then going I wonder if that's good that same player just won the tournament that same weekend and had I known any better I would have put a lot of money on him because he then went (laughs) won the British Open the very next weekend and so I got to watch, you know, what it takes to change. And this, you know, he wasn't a player who was always known for that level of performance. So when you see somebody at a pinnacle honing in on a specific sort of mindset, flow, and sort of physical shape and mental state that will allow them to perform at their peak, you can see it. And it kind of ebbs and flows. And I found that it was very much that way and still is that way with precision rifle shooting, um, pistol shooting, and all the sports and hobbies that I find myself, you know, enjoying you tend to go in waves of peaks and valleys except when you get really good your valleys can sometimes feel really bad but they're still better than virtually everybody else in the world if, if you're at the sure. elite level and navigating your way out of that can be really difficult so i guess maybe that's the next place i wanted to take it um we'll come back to some of the speed things but i think from a different angle what would what, what do you do in pistols when you find that you're let's say moving or migrating towards what you feel is a valley in your performance sure well so here's why athletes get into slumps athletes get into slumps when they make a mistake and they become experts in making a mistake and pretty soon the expert defines their career and they can tell you a thousand ways they can screw up but they have forgotten what they're doing when they're getting it right and the, the biggest mistake that shooters make is they become experts in their failure as opposed to their success. Interesting. And when you talk about getting into a valley, that means the guy's made a mistake. He's thought about the mistake. The mistake happened again. Now he's losing. Now he continues to think about his mistakes and his mistakes become more common and now he defines that mistake. So the guy walks up, oh, here's John. He's the guy that always screws this up and there he goes. It's not what he wants, but it's what he's reinforced from his training and his competition. That is uncannily uh, appropriate, given how Chad and I tend to communicate at a match. Um, specifically, there was a specific stage where he walked up and said, hey, please dial your first dope. And on its surface, that is an innocuous statement. However, 99% of the time, what you hear from other shooters talking to other shooters, if they're going to give them that type of, let's say, uh, help feedback, help, help quote unquote, is hey, don't forget to dial. And there's a huge difference between please dial your first elevation or your first dope to don't forget to dial your first dope. And it, it's right. exactly to what you're saying. It reinforces the idea that you are about to do something wrong as opposed to in, enforcing this is the right process. Mm-hmm. And that's a very different approach. Man, I told you I had all the answers, and I wasn't kidding. So, <laughs> and most most of the damage done is in training. 
Right? Yeah. If if a uh, if a guy goes out and shoots a drill a hundred times and gets it wrong ninety nine times, I want to know everything he can tell me about the time he got it right. Yep. I don't care about the other ninety nine. And he doesn't want to do that. He says, "Well, oh, this is what I always do. I've got this terrible problem. I just got back from my range 20 minutes before this call with a guy who, who tells me he, he's, he's an IDPA shooter and he's having some trigger issues. And he says to me, this is what always happens. And he wasn't happy, but boy, was he relieved and satisfied to be at home in his own skin because this is what always happens. Yeah, that's and sad. he has become that problem. I see a lot of people doing that in the in the matches here in, P, in PRS. It's um, it it makes me sad. It makes me smile at the same time because they're my competitors. But but uh, I I find a way to, and I've always had that innate sense that that's what the right thing is to do is to focus on on the good parts and figure out how to bolster and strengthen those things and repeat those things. Uh, but I think a lot of people struggle with it. It's it's. I don't even want to say it's easier said than done because it is pretty damn easy. Like this sport in general is easy. All the elements of pistol and rifle and everything in between, all the elements are simple. Yeah, <laughs> you just have to do them all. I don't think you're you're trying to placate or play down what we do. It's simply no, they're I, they're physically very easy. Point shoot, look dial, find target, yeah. identify target. I mean, it, it doesn't it, get any easier than that on its face. That's I mean, hell, euchre was harder to learn. In <laughs> terms sure. of the actual rules of the game, I had no the I had no clue. I don't However, even know if Steve knows what euchre is. It's a Midwest thing. Oh, Steve, do you know what? Euchre I know is? it's a card game that old people play, so I have to sign up for it. See, shortly, but I've, I've never attempted to play it. Wait, uh, you, you don't have your AARP card yet? <laughs> Maybe. It. I mean, but I think that's what we're trying to. What Chad's trying to say more than anything is there are a lot of things you could choose to do that have a far more difficult skill set or rule set. Um, and the way we, what we have to do in order to achieve points in our sports are relatively, relatively simple. Um, but that said, it's the execution and the devil is in the details. And I wanted to circle back to something, you know, you talked, you said, Hey, if we're focusing on the mistake, it becomes us. And therefore we end up further down in a valley or we just prolong the duration of this quote unquote slump or the valley. Um, yeah. In, in my case, you know, and this is why I said I wanted to circle back to speed, speed and speed training alone can, under repetition, cause, at least in my experience, it, is, it can cause fundamental errors and issues if practiced wrong. And I think from a couple of the podcasts I heard from you, you know, you also said in training, you train to a 100% success rate. That's your goal. Um, and I found that I did have problems overcoming let's say, training errors by ingraining something enough and it's imperfect, you actually are patterning. And you mentioned patterning and ingraining as um, and rehearsal techniques as being both a blessing and a curse, in a, in a, to paraphrase it, um, because you can do it wrong, you can do it right, and you'd rather do it right than wrong. So that said, one of the things that I did in order to untrain those is I have, have a distinct barrier in my mind, like a left brain, right brain type of approach. For speed... I have one mode, which is just go fast and train like hell with just click, bang, like click, dry fires as fast as you can on a big target. To get back into precision mode, I will never end the session on a speed-only mode. I actually end it by alternating the exact same drill on a target that is one th- well, about one-third to a little less than a third of our normal target size. Uh, it's a three-inch target at 400 yards, and I will shoot that at 400 yards in order to achieve 
perfect precision as as trying to retain the speed while going back to a precision mindset. And that's the last thing I leave my brain with. And I wanted to see if there's anything parallel to that in, you know, in pistol. I know bullseye shooting and others do have like a requisite for pure precision. What's been your experience as you train for, say, pure speed chaos? Do you have to come back to something that approaches more pure precision or fundamental slower pace? It, it depends on the shooter. But what, what you just described is exactly what I discovered when I invented what I call match mode. And all, all you're doing is you're changing the objective. In speed mode, it's what does it feel like to achieve or uh, enhance or extend the limit of human function. And then in match mode, it's, hey, I'm going to leave all the technical shots without slowing down. Mm-hmm. And yep. in pistol shooting, what gets people into trouble is always the conscious control of speed. Right? My guy who had the trigger problem, he decided he was going to slow down. Well, now he's slow and he has the trigger problem. Now we got two problems. <laughs> oh, that's not good. <laughs> right? Because he confused shooting zeros, which is the goal in IDPA, with slowing down or going fast. So you don't you don't need to slow down. There's something you need to see and something you need to do. You're just not doing it. And mm-hmm. how fast or slow you do it is not really that relevant. It can be done very quickly. Um, but what, what's neat about what you're saying is that's how I invented match mode, which is coming out of a speed exercise and changing the objective and the, lim- the limit of human function to leaving only acceptable shots without consciously slowing down. Exactly. Yes, it's going to it's going to be a little slower because now we have some other stuff to do, but we're not going to say. All right, now let's dial it back to seventy-five percent and get some ants. That's what gets people in the trouble. Yeah, man, I this Speak is kind of creepy. I'm not gonna lie. This came about uh, me as like a 37 year old. I hadn't had any formal education and like call it shooting other than just some F class training and trying to win this one little three gun. Uh, it was actually a one gun. It was a DMR AR style shoot that had a variety of stuff, and you had to shoot a pistol apparently, which I just brought one. Uh, I did well. I ended up winning my very first like match. That was I shot one. And I won one, so tied for first technically. But um, that was my my claim. And when I came back from that, I realized the the going fast component and going fast over and over and over again wasn't just enough. So going back into this sort of precision mode, you, I retained all the speed. I wasn't trying to go slower, and I, I kept doing that. And realized I could go from like forty seconds down to say twenty eight seconds dry firing fast and if i shot for precision i would do it in 32 or 33 and then i just kept doing that to the point where i would dry fire it in 20 or 19 or 18 seconds and then shoot it live fire in 24 22 25 26 seconds i'm honestly very blown away that you know despite being completely different paths we ultimately ended up with the exact same uh, method to get to a similar construct same thing same thing and I wanted to mention something uh, let's see you talked about oh, I had to, oh let's so you, you won your first match right uh, I didn't well yes I won my first it was one that the quick version of this is I had three buddies that I wanted to shoot with last minute both of them back out and I'm like well I can quit I can just not go eh, I'm gonna go I'd spent a month or so doing these little drills that I thought would help me I went I won I never shot another one of those again. <laughs> but, so, yeah. so let's define beginner's luck. If, if we wanted to call that beginner's luck, let's define beginner's luck. What is it? 
Oh, that's a good question. See, and I feel like I know what I did leading up to that match. I probably did more to prepare for that match than the average Joe. But this is also mm-hmm. coming from someone who watched all the professional athletes and had played sports at a higher level for over a decade. So my my process, if you will, uh, you know, was generally to excel in the small components and then continue on and go do the thing that's important. And I did that. I practiced a lot of stuff, not knowing what I needed to actually do. I just practiced doing basic things, going from standing to prone and sending some shots and doing it again as fast as I could. And I literally had no real clue because never been to a match. And so to your point, beginner's luck is where I think preparation meets an unprepared field, at least in my (laughs) sense of the world. Yeah. Boy, there's there's those $10 words again. I'll make it real easy for you. Beginner's luck is following a process without an expectation of the result. There you go. Yeah, and My if you do that every law, time, you're going to be, be successful. Right, and over time, you will begin to expect a great result. That's when people dominate the sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, bro- my brother-in-law on 4th of July taught me how to throw hatchets at the side of a shed. He never thrown a hatchet before. Like this okay. year? Uh, like two days ago. Yeah, yeah. okay. Okay. I learned how to throw hatchets. Now you're pro. Well, I did extremely well because I followed his instructions with no expectation of a result, and I learned more about what I was getting right than I was getting wrong. He made a slight error and wanted me to focus what I was doing wrong, and I know better. Yeah. Uh, instead of focusing on the feeling of getting it wrong, because throwing hatchets is about releasing it earlier than you think you should. And Interesting. The first time you do it, it feels almost unsafe. You have to let go of that thing a little higher in the throw than you really want to but it feels different than doing it late where you think you should like if you were throwing a dart you know yeah but once I learned what it felt like to let go of it a little bit earlier than I wanted to I could do it virtually every time mm-hmm. but he wanted me to focus on when I was getting it wrong I'm smarter than that well smarter I, I just I know better mm-hmm. I said okay I'm, I'm gonna work on the feeling of getting it right and I'm gonna duplicate that feeling and I did really well yeah but I think that there is so, and this is hard to describe. There's something within certain people that can draw the correlation between the right and desired outcome and then the actual inputs and how they felt. You described how you, how it felt when it left your hand. And I, I have this feeling all the time. I can feel when the rifle is at its natural point of aim. And some people can't. They're, they're steering it on the target or they're holding it on the target. And I don't know how to train that. I don't know how to describe that any more than I just did. But if you have a good feel for when the rifle is at its natural point of aim, then nothing can stop you. You can get so that I know. So I know how to train it. Okay. Right? All you have to do is wait till the guy gets it right and have him write something down. Yeah. And then wait wait till he gets it right and have him write something down. Wait till he gets it right and have him write, write something down. I don't care if he gets it right three times out of a hundred. He will eventually see some similarities and begin to know Mm-hmm. But yeah. the mistake, the mistake people make is they write down and screw it up. Oh, I did this wrong. I did that wrong. Oh, I did this wrong. I did that wrong. So he's learning to shoot for it. He's becoming an expert in doing it wrong. Yeah, and it's hard. Um, it's hard to do that for them. Is what I was trying to say. Like they have to. Oh, they re- hate it. Yeah, they, they hate it. <laughs> they have to realize that what they did is what caused the outcome. So 
be able to analyze what you did and then determine the good parts of it and repeat those and get rid of the bad parts. And I don't know, it's harder for some people, I think, than others, but that's... Well, of course it is. And, and type A hates it because type A thinks they got there by being tough on themselves. Mm-hmm. And some of that may be true, but at a certain point, you've got to give yourself credit for how far you've come when you're looking to get the last one to give them yeah, and I say all the time, there's a lot of people that could win these matches, but very few that do. I mean, there's a lot of great shooters in these competitions, but it's that last 5%, and it's almost always the mental toughness and the mental the mental side of the game that uh, allows them to win their first match or get on the podium for the first time. Well, of course. And between shooters of, skim- of similar skill, it will not be the best shooter that wins. It will be the best competitor. Yeah, yeah. I like and that. They can be- and the guys that dominate are the best shooter and the best competitor. Yeah, I hear you there. We we have all lost to people who are inferior shooters because they were superior competitors on that day at that match. Yeah. So the first thing we have to do is learn to be a better competitor, and then the shooting catches up to how great of a competitor we are. I, I had such a great... I was doing a class in Poconos Mountains this weekend, and this dude just took everybody to school. He was like the third fastest shooter there. And he destroyed these guys by a second and a half by reducing the amount of conscious thought that he had and having a high level of confidence. Nice. You know, confidence is at least 30% of performance, and the, and the more skilled you are, that number goes up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that statement. I think, uh, you know, I do find that as my confidence goes up, I tend to perform better and it's a it's a balance i mean there's overconfidence for sure where you can feel like you can do no wrong that causes sort of ambivalence about certain aspects of your your performance where you just go way too relaxed i'll say uh but there's also times where you can be so worried about your ability to perform you just aren't going to get there without a change in mindset but the sure. you guys touched on something that it's really unique and it's the kinematic sequencing and processing of how you when you what you feel effectively is not always real early on and that's something that's really big in the golf industry that feel is not real because what you think occurred and what you think you have to do to change it is not always right until you have enough successful outcomes that you can develop a positive association with the real critical factor so like for instance if you think you released early when really it was just you bobbed your head right and with enough of those sort of two things happening you might think it's part you know part a is causing my issue so i'm going to fix this and it kind of does but unknowingly it's actually this other thing that's changing and so when you when you keep doing that you actually can misidentify certain aspects of what's right versus wrong and it takes longer to get down your learning path to get to the root cause of an issue um but uh that said with precision rifle it is very difficult to train people to see one one sixtieth of a, of a degree um, wobble and think, "I don't know how to get rid of that." Mm-hmm. Like it, it's you've yeah. you've also mentioned a couple times that you were getting back from training or you just got back from the range today. I wanted to give you a chance to say what you do. Um, you're you're doing this full time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what does your training course kind of outline look like? Is it all custom every time, or do you have? something that you you prefer to run in in an outline or agenda so my my mission is to save shooters years of struggle that's my mission nice and because i'm 50 and i'm getting a little older i'm starting to work with people that are my age and older who don't have 10 years to screw around to reach their potential 
you know, if a guy gets into this at 25, he could spare him 10 years and still be in good shape. Yeah. But if somebody's in their 50s and they're getting into shooting or even their 60s, they don't have 10 years to screw around. They got to get this figured out pretty quick. Yeah. And so I have developed uh, some great shortcuts to getting really, really good really, really quickly. And we just break things down instead of trying to work on speed and accuracy at the same time. We work out two different sides, just like we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, the the shots we have in these pistol sports are criminally easy. We're talking about sports where the average shot is 12 yards. Yeah. And, and still I miss. always joke about <laughs> I always joke about one of my guys meeting one of your guys and the pistol guy says, oh man, I had a miss at 12 yards. And the rifle guy says, oh, did you misjudge the curvature of the earth? No, it wasn't that. Did you fail to account for the wind and elevation? No, it wasn't that. Did the mirage cause the confusion? No, the damn dot went on the target. And the <laughs> rifle guy would be like, oh, okay. <laughs> Just put the dot on the target and press the trigger. Yeah, yeah, because these shots are so easy. Um, but when a guy has, so so shooters, action shooters, let's call them, can process between six to ten, six to ten thoughts per second, but never more than one thought at a time. So what's cycling through their mind in, 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 in a poor example is basically Samuel L. Jackson narrated their performance. And it's a very high number of conscious thoughts with a very negative tone. Yeah. And this is not good. This is not a great environment. And you guys have probably experienced it too. You know, Sam Jackson narrating your performance while it's happening. Well, some people that's, even that's say it good. out loud. Some people oh, even yeah. say the steps out loud. I'm like, what are you doing? Yep. Some people yep. are trying to so, cast others in their movie and get a you know, <laughs> co-role with uh, Brad Pitt. Oh, yeah, take another no, Tarantino, Jackson Jr. Like oh, they're just okay. going to keep going, and, and they want to find Misery Loves Company. So, yeah, that's a that's a high number of negative thoughts with a very negative undertone. I'm sure you guys do your best shooting when you're not thinking very much. You're thinking as little as possible, and you probably shoot your best when you're confident, and you probably shoot your best when you're not really worried about the results. Meaning. You know it's going to go okay, or you know you're going to win, or you're not too worried about it one way or the other. Yeah, I I feel that way. Other than the fact um, that I have a, I'm going to call it strange because he's neurotic. Because you've you've described this <laughs> already. You said confidence, and I shoot my best when I I dance between confidence and uncertainty. And I say this because I want to make sure that I check all the boxes. Like there's so many things we have to worry about in precision rifle and preparation before that timer even starts. It's not even funny. And so when I, when I have that healthy degree of skepticism and uncertainty, it forces me to follow my process and make sure that I don't, I don't miss anything. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that your strategy ultimately is sticking to a proven process? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm 100 on board with process. That's all I, it's all I focus on. It keeps me distracted from the stress of the situation. It it calms me down. It uh, reinforces that I do things. I mean, um, yeah, the process is will get you the desired outcome for sure. And I don't I don't think about the outcome like you said. I just know that it, it's going to turn out well. And I think you've said it, and I've I've said it in other podcasts. But you you can only control how well you do. You can't even on your best day. You still might get beat. So wow. um, it's outside of your control. I just focus on what I can do, and I I can feel good about that. Every shooter is in control of everything. Well, you, you've got a weather variable that we don't have. We don't have a wind variable. Um, 
but I would assume you guys find ways to deal with that and get better at it. Mm-hmm. Um, remind me to tell you about that here in a minute, the, the wind and everything. But our shooters give up control over everything they can control and worry about the one thing they can't control, which is the ultimate results. Yeah. They can't control that. Yeah. So they give up control over everything else in favor of the thing that they cannot control. Yeah, and they probably won't admit that, but that's what's happening most most of the time. Yeah. I, oh, it's what happens. When I hear that reflected to um, amongst competitors, it's oh yeah, I'm out of it, right? And that's and it's not that they're directly not going to shoot, not going to try, but you know that there is an overarching theme that I'm not in it, so why push? Why try? Why? Or they push to try to make up for it yeah, and make it and worse. Make it worse. And, and they could have been on the podium if they would have just yeah. stayed the course. Yeah, I've watched more than one shooter have that. Yeah, I'm out of it. That stage just took me out. Come to find out, like. At that point, had they just shot the average, they would have finished in the top ten. However, they just weren't aware of what the real average is, and you can't you can't know what everybody else is doing. And you don't want to. And know. you don't want to know. That's exactly it. You just need to have your head down, find your best game, leave it alone, and then reassess and analyze, re practice afterward. Sure. And so remember, maybe you don't know this. Lee Basham won his silver medal after a big choke. He thought he was out of it. So he just relaxed and shot well enough to get a silver medal. And most of our guys, I was like this when I first started traveling to big matches. I would shoot extremely well after a choke uh, because the pressure's off. I'm just having fun. Now I've achieved not worrying about the results because I can't, I I feel like I've screwed the pooch, you know. Um, And and the trick is to get there without making a mistake. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, we have a very famous shooter who used to intentionally go out and incur a penalty on his first stage what? just so that he could get the mistake out of the way. Just to get it out of the way? I mean, because he knew he shot better after a mistake, <laughs> so he would intentionally make the mistake so he'd be able to shoot better. Did he ever win doing that? Oh, he was a multiple world champion. Oh, We're talking about God. a very minor mistake. We're not talking right. about yeah. something very semi-egregious. Mistake. Just enough for him to go, no, that's done. Let's go, let's go do it. That is, you know, we have an internal like joke amongst us. Like when people say, like, "Oh yeah, I just bombed that one," and it's like their first stage or second stage. I'm like, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's your first stage or last stage. You're gonna make a mistake, and if you just wrap all twenty stages and you get a two on one of them, if you clean the rest of them, I guarantee you, no one else here is shooting a one ninety two out of two hundred. Yeah, it doesn't matter if and, you get a zero out of ten on one stage or miss yeah, one point on ten I mean, stages. Exactly. It's the same result. And that simple like math logic that people are like, well, now I know I'm never going to do that. I mean, this goes back to some of the things in the book on psychological limits where it's a self-imposed limit. And most often the things that we think we can or cannot do are simply a product of the, either the time frame or the skill set that we currently have. And we just don't know that it is possible because we, ha- we just can't see that far, quote, over the horizon. Well, in, in mental management, we call that the self-image. Yep. So self-image is your opinion of yourself based on your habits and attitudes. And it does create self-imposed limitations. And the self-image always prefers a comfortable problem to an uncomfortable solution. Um, people words, have trouble with Is it easier to have, like, I know I'm going to drop a few shots versus, oh, I have to go train for 10 hours to not drop any? Correct. Yeah, weight loss is the best example. Weight loss has a simple solution, but it's uncomfortable. It's very simple, yeah. Oh, there's a lot and of those examples. Most, 
anybody who's overweight is preferring a comfortable problem to an uncomfortable solution or they don't see it as a problem and that's that's totally up to them right yeah. they can do whatever they want but let's not pretend the solution is complicated you know the 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 problem has become comfortable and the solution is and anybody who's known as this kind of shooter or that kind of shooter in a, in a negative way has a, has a comfortable problem with an uncomfortable solution. Um, my favorite rifle client of all time, we're doing mental management with the guy in South Africa, and he comes to me and he says, hey, I know you don't know anything about rifle shooting, but I think you can help me. I said, I'm sure I can. He said, I have come in second place in my match four years in a row, whatever it was, and I can't figure out how to this thing. Okay, no problem. Let's, let's figure it out. So we get through the class. He's already getting posted at right because he's second place perennially. Uh, and then finally we get to the part of the class where we examine habits and actions. And I said, okay, James Garth. So Garth, let's take a list. Can I guess what his name is? Because I guarantee his name is Garth. Really? You uh, know Garth? Oh, yeah. He called me last mm-hmm. week. <laughs> yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah, he's awesome. Can you pronounce his last name? Uh, No. No. No, Garth's a good dude. Yeah. We'll see him here this year. What do you say, Garth? He's awesome. Yeah. And his name, uh, Lafayette. Yeah. Those lines. But we're going through the class, and I said, Garth, let's talk about everything your sport requires. And he goes, can I, can I say the S word on this show? Sure. Okay. <laughs> we'll just bleep it if we don't want it. Okay. You, can, you yeah. can replace it with whatever you want. You can say the S word. Like, literally say, he always says the S word. <laughs> just okay. kidding. You can so, say whatever you want. So, Garth, let, let's make a list of what your sport requires and whether you're the best in the country. And he goes, holy crap. I just realized why I haven't won. I said, why is that? He Never goes, there's, there's four things that the sport requires. And I'm the best in the country at three of them. I'm not in the best country at the fourth one. And so he had a comfortable problem. And I don't know how you guys study bullet map or how you get better at it. But he studied bullet map, a, a bullet map and got better at it and won his title. Yeah. He thirty days later. It's it's my favorite story of all time because <laughs> he had a comfortable problem. Hey, I'm constantly in second place. The solution for him, he didn't like bullet man. He didn't know either. He didn't know how to do it. He didn't want to do it. Maybe it's not fun. I don't know. But well, there's he a lot of uncertainty. Can. I mean, people struggle with lack of confidence in that regard across the board. It's it's uh, unfortunate because it's it is math. It's just, it's pretty well, basic. Well, and if you, all guys, all you have to do is make a list of what your sport requires and evaluate your ability to do it. Yeah. Um, we, we had a national world multi, multi-champion go, go from second place to seventh place on a strong hand, uh, 25-yard shot. Our guys do not like to shoot one hand at 25 yards, mm-hmm. but apparently... It is something that the sport requires. So if you want to be a national champion and your sport requires this and you can't do it, you better figure it out. Or you better accept seventh place and love it. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's the thing, right? I yeah. mean, that's guys, that's how I made Grand Masters. It was, and I, I will admit it was a limited range of skills at that time. Freely admit that. But it was super. So I, I was like, you're telling me all I got to do is fire six shots, reload, fire six shots, and I can be a Grand Master? Well, let's consider that dumb. It was easy. Okay, it was easy. It was, it was easy. Yeah, we have another guy here. That's he's going that easy. phrase. It was easy. He's also what a national champion. What does the sport require, and can I do these things? Yep. Yep. Right. So, and if I can't, 
Yeah, you know, just, you know, at least one of you is a guitar player. Imagine trying to play Ingve Malmsteen. That's way harder than becoming a grandmaster. It is. <laughs> yeah. Way harder. All right. Well, you said to remind you about wind because we're getting on an hour here, and I don't want to keep too much take too much of your time here. So you oh, said I've to got, remind I've, you about I've wind. Got, I've got plenty of time. No, that that was my Garth story. Was the wind? Oh, Garth, cool. Garth Olivier. Oh, it's yeah, yeah. It's spelled Olivier, but it's pronounced Olivier. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Garth and I have had a few conversations over the years, and and uh, he was thinking about having me or both of us come down there and train him, and I'm just like, I just can't. I can't take the time, and so I'm glad he found I'm glad he found you, and, and you were able to help him out with that because he wanted to work. He worked so hard at it, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, just just sometimes knowing exactly what to do or having somebody say, "Yeah, you're on the right path," can can change your self image. Like you were saying, your self image needs to be uh, bolstered up, and then you're well, un- untouchable. He had never made a list of what the sport requires and evaluated his ability to be the best. It's, it's fine to sit there and want something, right? You can want something all day long. But until you turn yourself into the human being that can do it, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, and that's right? If I want to run a four-minute mile, I got some work to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got to <laughs> exactly. turn myself into the human. And that's all I have to do. I can sit here and want it, or I can systematically turn myself into a human being that can run miles. Yeah. Awesome. So how do people get a hold of you? So you can reach me at steve at andersonshooting.com. Um, we do the, men- the mental management program uh, that Garth did. is done in three two-hour chunks. And we, we understand the terminology of mental management. You have to learn to do a couple of things that are counterintuitive, especially if you're type A. Um, but what people can start doing immediately is talking to themselves like they would a shooter they're trying to help. If, okay. if, if you guys took me to the range and taught me how to shoot a rifle, I promise you, you would speak to me kinder than you're speaking to yourselves. That's the first change you got to make is you got to start talking to yourself like a shooter you're trying to help. Mm-hmm. As so, opposed to a shooter you hate and wish would stop this morning. So talk to ourselves like a six-year-old stranger that we're trying to, we're trying to get them back to their mom in like the grocery store. Like, hey, come on. Well, that's kind of sounded weird now. That, that is weird. It. That's a weird analogy. I say it. I was, I was just thinking of like my nieces or when I see kids who are just acting unruly, it's like, hey, come on. No, 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 no. Stop that. Like, I see, Or a dog, like a puppy. No, we're saying so trying to help a, shooters. That no. is a very common type of response to this idea. That makes sense. What it means. So what it, it, we're not saying pat yourself on the bottom and don't try. No. What we're saying is it's, it's more like, hey, good job. Try again. As opposed to, hey, you idiot, how come you can't do this? Yeah, don't be negative on yourself. Don't beat yourself up. I promise you. So, in our world, it's either side or trigger. In your world, there's a third element to it. But, like, most most of my conversation on the range when a guy has a poor shot is, hey, it's side or trigger. And if he knows whether it's side or trigger, he can fix it immediately. Mm-hmm. In your case, you've got a bullet mass variable. So, now we have three variables. And if we know which one it is, we know what to fix. No reason to get angry about it. Right. Yeah, I've heard people like verbally berating themselves in the middle of a stage. Like, <laughs> you know that that person is not not following what you just described. <laughs> I had one of those recently. I can't you remember did? back at Collis. Well, it wasn't to a verbal berating. It was just bang, miss, bang, oh. And I knew exactly, like, when it dawned on me what happened, I 
remember the, the turret. Um, then it was just like, okay, it was the last stage of the day. And I like I was in a decent spot. I didn't know exactly where, but that happened. And it wasn't a berating, but it was a, oh my gosh, are you serious? How did I do? Again, like this is the second time this weekend. It cost me two points, and that was a big two points. Um, and so how do you, like, I guess, yeah. let's ask Steve, how do you... How do you maintain composure and run across the finish line? Like, what is one, just as we leave this conversation, like, what is one small tip you can say to take your mental game that last 100 yards across the finish line or whatever? Well, most people aren't ready for the last 100 yards, so I'll give you the first 100 yards. Okay, Okay. fair (laughs) enough. That's That's a good good. idea. The first thing you have to do is control the imprints to your self-image. That's the first thing you have to do, right? Mm-hmm. Second thing you have to do, but particularly it's very important training. Now you mentioned making a mistake for the second time. That normally happens when we become experts in the mistake. So anytime you make a mistake, you want to immediately go to next time I will. Next time I will read the wind a different way. Next time I will get a better trigger pull. So that you're reinforcing a solution instead of a problem. Yeah. Well, it is a chronic it, issue for Francis. It is at that, that di- dialing. Yep. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's a simple better. matter of. Yeah. And so when when you program that thought, next time I will, and the situation occurs, the more times you've said next time I will, the more likely you are to do the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. The more times you say here it comes again, the more likely it is to happen. Because it isn't what you want, but it's what you know. Yeah, I trace this one back to a root cause. So like I was, I worked through this problem to figure out where did this go sideways. And I, I did identify in both cases, I found a common link. I'm like, okay, time to be selfish. In other words, like I had broken a, a root process, which is once you start these certain things, don't ever leave them until they're done. And I broke that. And I'm now at the point where I have been very selfish since that uh, to not let that occur. And I'm just I'm very selfish. And the time that I start doing my own little process and mini routine, it's me. I, literally, the world could fall down the only thing that will break that is hey range is cold and i have to stop touching my rifle or doing other things around my gear um but that was the root cause and so i've switched That's basically just following your process you allowed yourself yeah, to not follow it i allowed another portion of the responsibility to supersede it and i just didn't i wasn't hyper focused on this is the right way to do it it was no i'll come back to it but that wasn't my process it was it wasn't a two-part process it was a one-part process and just skip part two Here's the big mistake shooters make when they find something that works. They'll find something that works and go, oh, this is working so great, it'll work even better when I modify it. (laughs) Then it it quits working. And then they go back to when it was working, and it's working great. They go, okay, I've already got a handle on this, now I'm going to tweak it and make it even better, and then it quits working. Yeah. And it's usually a higher number of conscious thoughts than is required. Yeah, I mean, that's the engineer in me trying to make the process more efficient. But I've learned, especially in this game, sometimes the most cumbersome processes are the ones that you get right every single time because they're physical or they're very struggle. You, yeah. you know, they're difficult to do, so you, you do them better than if it, you make it easy. And then sometimes you forget to do the simple things. Sure. Yeah. So, like dial when you were talking about golf, when you were talking about golf, you mentioned a swing phrase or a swing thought. Yep, swing thought. All right, so we do the same thing in, in mental management. We call it a point of focus. What you're doing, you, all you're really doing is occupying your conscious mind so it can't micromanage the minutia of the activity. Yeah. 
And yes, pivoting your left hand may be important, but that's not why that works. The reason that works is you're now getting subconscious skill at everything but the left hand. Exactly. And for me, it's my exhale at the beginning of my shot process. That kicks everything else in motion. If I have a loud, audible exhale, then I know that I'm going to address the trigger straight in 90 degrees, pull it straight to the rear and hold it back and watch it, watch the bullet fly. But if I don't, if I don't say, you know, in my mind, you know, breathe or do the breathing activity, then um, it doesn't always happen the same way. So, yeah, I, right. one trigger can can be linked to a whole process of doing things the right way for sure. And you, what you're getting is you're when you occupy the conscious mind, you always get subconscious skill in accordance with confidence. Always. You shield out distractions as well. I mean, I don't know how your guys is. Um, squatting is and if there's a lot of banter and whatever but i mean that's half of the distractions is between shooting you've got 10 to 12 guys that you only see you know every few weeks and there's just bs and going on and all this other stuff but if you're locked into your process it's like a force field you know you know are 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 we there to socialize or are we there to shoot i always was criticized uh, for not being very fun to shoot with, and I said, "Hey, we go to the restaurant after the match. I'll I'll, I'll be the most fun guy there." But right now, I'm at work. I got a job to do. Yeah, I, I try to strike a balance there, but I agree. I default towards that side a little bit. Um, and same thing. Well, afterwards, let's well, go out and have a beer. And right now, it's time to do work. When they start giving out trophies for screwing around, I'll I, I'll, I'll start teaching them. <laughs> but that's yeah. not why people go to the matches. Yeah. Yeah, so I really want to thank you for coming on, man. I, yeah, man. I had a good talk. I feel like we did 75% of the talking, so I apologize. So if something sparked your interest here and you want to have another discussion later on, that's awesome. Um, I want to let you uh, close out the show with your with your tagline, if that's cool, and then we'll we'll say ours too because I don't think we I don't think we talked about ours. Did we? Okay. You- well, yeah. I, I just want to remind people that if, if if you're involved in anything that has a mental component and you're struggling, I can absolutely help you. If it's good enough to win the Olympics. It's good enough to it's good enough to solve your problem. Okay. Right? So send me an email, Steve at AndersonShooting.com. Uh, don't worry about me not being an expert in your sport because you're an expert in your sport, and we we will we will absolutely find a way get you where you want to go so steve at andersonshooting.com and until you send me that email until we meet in person or on the phone be like me do what i do say it with me one two three get to, to work. work all right thanks steve well man you should own it every day because the match has already started